0: Ruth chapter 1, and we'll be reading the entire chapter. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites, from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the women so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. went on till they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman, women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Lord Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has blessed, brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? And the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest, thus far the reading of God's word. Let's bow in prayer. Dear Lord, we once again thank you that we have the privilege and the opportunity to worship you today. Dear Lord, we ask that you be with Pastor Bob as he delivers your message, your words, and open our hearts and our minds as this congregation, as we accept these words and take them into your world, dear Lord. We just thank you for all the blessings you have given us. This we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. This is the story, this Ruth chapter 1 of looking at it. It's the story of two women. Secondly, it's the story of a great distinction. But thirdly, it's the story of a much bigger picture than just that which we have encapsulated in these verses that we have read this morning. It's the story of two women. Now, we could say, well, isn't it the story of Naomi as well? Yes, if uh, that were our subject this morning. But we're we're looking at, at Orpah. And so it's her in contrast, is it not, to Ruth. And yet, uh, as we look at what happens in in the introduction, that which God's spirit gives us, we find there is a lot of similarities between these two women, even though there's going to be a great distinction. The similarities are these. They were both Moabites. There's no difference between them. It's not that one is part Moabite and part Jewish, or one is part Moabite and part Edomite, they're both Moabites. That's what Scripture tells us. They are, in a sense, the same. Scripture also tells us that they're the same in the fact that they married brothers, two men of the same family, two men of, of the same lineage Two men of the same upbringing, two men of the same parents. There is no distinction made between the two boys, the two sons of Elimelech and Naomi. They are indeed the same. Orpah and Ruth, both Moabites, both married brothers, and as the account gives to us, they are both widowed. And the way in which the passage is written, it makes it appear to us at least, although we couldn't say definitively, that the boy's death must have occurred in relatively the same amount of time. After 10 years, they die. So they, they leave Israel because of a famine. Elimelech and his wife and these two boys travel to Moab because there is food. They're there for a period of time. Elimelech dies, leaving Naomi with the two sons. The two sons grow, become married to these two women, and then they die. With no distinction. It's not, the scripture doesn't go into any detail, but you get the idea of the fact that there is a great similarity in their deaths as well. Doesn't sound like it's accidental, doesn't sound like it's because they were involved in war. In fact, as we read the words of Naomi, it would appear that it is the Lord's hand. The Lord's hand has brought this in terms of the death of Elimelech, and now in the terms of these two men. So Ruth and Orpah are really no different. They're both close to their mother-in-law. It's not like one loved Naomi and the other just couldn't stand her mother-in-law, didn't want anything to do with her. The the story reveals to us both have a desire to go back. They both have this, when Naomi says, hey, I'm headed back to Israel because I've heard there's food there, I'm leaving Moab. It's not just Ruth who says, oh, I'll go, and Orpah doesn't show any interest. Orpah as well as Ruth show an interest. They are both close to Naomi. And they both desire to go to Israel. They both have that. Now, we could say, well, it's because Naomi is going. Well, yes, we could say that. But they also, as you read that seventh verse, so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. That's the object. So when, when both Orpah and Ruth accompany her, it is not only to accompany her, it is that they both have this desire to go back to Israel, to Judah. The territorial tribal lands of Judah. It's the story of two women. Remarkably similar. It's hard to draw a distinction here, isn't there? From what Scripture gives to us. And yet, that's what the point of Ruth chapter 1 is to point out to us the great distinction that exists between them. And what is the distinction? Orpah returned to Moab. When Naomi pressed, when Naomi laid out the circumstances, when Naomi really just laid it on the line to these two girls that said, look, coming back to me with me to Judah does not provide you with an insurance policy. There are no guarantees. Now you see, Naomi is operating under the law of God, which says that if a child dies and has a wife, then the next son has to marry the widow. And give them children. Oh, that would be another interesting point, isn't it, that we could have included about these. Neither one of them has children. They've been married, but they're both childless. So when Naomi puts before them the fact of, look, even if i married tonight, even if I conceived a child tonight, you'd have to wait a good, let's grant it, younger side, 15 to 20 years before they're eligible to be married. You really going to wait around that long? When she lays out the facts of what is facing them, We read in verse verse 14 the following. Then they lifted up their voices and wept. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Now you see, earlier we had another kiss, didn't we? Earlier, Naomi had kissed them, said goodbye. But you notice, Ruth nor Orpah had kissed her. She is saying to them by kissing them goodbye, but they're not having it. They're still, no, we're following you. But now we read, and Orpah kissed her. It means that this is the kiss of departure. This is Orpah saying, not, I love you and care about you, this is goodbye. This is goodbye. And we know that because of the very next verse. She kissed her. And she said, that is, Naomi, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Here's the great distinction. Orpah returns back to Moab. When confronted with the realities of what it means to accompany Naomi, she turns back. And verse 15 tells us she turned back for two reasons. She turned back to go to her own people. Her own people. Now that draws in a whole realm of history, doesn't it? All of a sudden, this this story is going back in history. Because we have to understand, right, Ruth chapter 1. We're dealing with the fact of another great distinction. The distinction between the people of God and the people of Moab, the people of the world. Between the people of the covenant with Abraham and the people who are outside of covenant. We are dealing with, with in a sense Jews and Gentiles. But, but that makes it almost to too of a physical n- national type thing. There is a much bigger spiritual distinction. Her people. Her people. Not God's people. Not God's holy people. Not God's loved people. Not God's chosen people. Not God's delivered people, not God's covenanted with people, no, her people. She is turning her back upon God as the covenant God. And she's turning her back upon God's covenant people. She goes to her people. Why does she go to her people? Because Naomi includes something else in that verse 15. She goes back to her gods. Now where she was in a spiritual progress, okay, up until this point, we'd have to say, well, we we couldn't be definitive, but it would appear that the only draw for her going back to Judah was Naomi. Her only draw was the hope that Naomi brought her in the hope of a marriage. And when it becomes abundantly clear to her that that is out of the picture, she wants nothing to do any longer with going back to Judah and even though she cares about Naomi, does not care enough to make that commitment. She, instead of looking to the Lord, turns to her gods. Oh my friends, how many of orpas are there in this world? Right? Who gives some sort of indication of a journey to the Lord. Who gives some sort of thought, some sort of an idea that yes, we are, we are coming to the Lord. But their reasons for doing so are not the Lord. Their secondary reasons have become their primary reasons. The Lord has and dethroned, and the naomis take the place, that relationship elevates it. But you see when it's a human relationship, and then that human relationship is pressed, when that human relationship is taxed, then you see it's like the weed, the seed that's sown amongst the weeds. It grows up, but the weeds choke it out. All of a sudden, the realities of Orpah's situation choke out whatever it was that was, had led her to take steps towards Judah. And now we see that which is truly in her heart. She has returned to her gods. Her gods. Not Moab's gods. Not the nations of Moab's. But hers, possessive, belonging to her, that which she held on to, that which she held dear. The great distinction then appears when, when we read the following, right? We come to, to verse 16, but Ruth said, but Ruth, right? The great distinction, the great change, but. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything. But death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Orpah returned, but Ruth followed. No kiss of departure. No kiss goodbye. When the truth is revealed from Naomi to Ruth, she doesn't return to her gods. She instead displays her commitment. A commitment that goes beyond the relationship to just Naomi. A relationship that goes beyond Naomi to her people. See the great distinction? Orpah returned to her people. Ruth is saying, no, I'm not returning to my people. Your people will be my people. Who are Naomi's people? The people of the Lord. God's covenant people. God's chosen people. God's loved people. God's holy people. God's separated people. Those people shall be my people. Orpah returned. What does at verse 14 say? Or 15? She returned to her people and to her gods. What's the great distinction? Listen to Ruth's commitment. Not only will your people be my people, but your God will be my God. I am not returning to my gods. I'm Turning to your God. And your God shall be my God. The great distinction seen in the fact that Ruth follows Naomi. But you know, it's interesting. Orpah drops out of the pages of Scripture. She's done. That's it. We don't know anything that happened. She went back to Moab. What happened? We don't know. All we could do is guess. Some might want to say, oh, let, let's, make it, let's make it end nice. Let's make it end with, she mar- finds a nice young Moabite man who marries her and she has a whole bunch of kids. That's probably not going to happen. One, she's already older. Two, she's already had a husband who was an Israelite. That does not make her highly attractive to a Moabite man. Because there is a distaste, you see, for the Israelites. They're not our people. You married one who was not our people. Oh yeah, there's a lot of prejudice. There's a lot of racism in all of that. Yeah, there is. But those are also the realities with which she faced. We don't know what happened. We don't know. But we do know that Ruth was blessed. Always, oh, Ruth blessed. There, there, are, there are two blessings hinted at in this chapter. One will come in the very next chapter. What are those blessings? One, the first blessing that Ruth receives is this. She goes to Bethlehem. She goes to Bethlehem. The house of bread. The house where there is water from the well that is better than any of the water of Israel. You and I both know what that picture is, doesn't it? You go to Bethlehem, there's a picture for us of Christ. Here is her blessing. God in his great foreshadowing of that which shall come of the well of salvation from which we drink from the bread of life that sustains us in Christ draws her and brings her not to any city other than Bethlehem. She comes at the barley. What? Harvest. The word that Naomi heard in the fields of Moab was indeed true. The Lord has brought again blessing upon his people. But you see, all of that you have to preference by the very first verse of Ruth chapter 1 that we read. In the time of the judges. That's when this account takes place in the time of the judges where Israel's doing this up and down and up and down. And every time they're sinning, God comes with his judgment of one way or another. God comes to show them the fact that they are wayward. When Elimelech left, there was a famine, which was what? The sign according to Deuteronomy. Of God's judgment upon them. Because of their faithlessness. But now there is a barley harvest. What does that show us? But it's a time of God's deliverance. It's a time of God's blessing. Ruth. Enters. Judah. Goes to the city of Bethlehem. At the time of the barley harvest. And in the very next chapter. We meet the man who is going to be her kinsman-redeemer, right? Boaz. See, as we follow the stories, Orpah's story ends. That's it. But Ruth's story continues. It continues in, in a town of Bethlehem. It continues in the barley harvest. It continues with Boaz. Ah, the blessedness of this great distinction that we see in this chapter. But again, the entire account of the book of Ruth of this first chapter has a much bigger picture yet. It's not really the story of just two women, is it? It's the story of mankind. That's what it's really before us. Because this is a story of, and a lesson on election. Oh, I know there's some people, I don't like to hear about that. Can't we talk about grace? You can't talk about grace without talking about election because grace is election and election is grace. So yes, this story is not only a story of election, God chose Ruth. Orpah is not chosen. How do we know? She returned to her people and to her gods. She kissed Naomi goodbye. Why did that occur? Why did that happen? Why did two women whose stories, whose background, who have so many similarities, end up so differently? We see it in families, don't we? We we can see it in children. We can see those children who come to know and love the Lord and those who reject him. We can see it in a society. We can look at at neighbors and we can say, here's one, they look to be exactly the same. I think they went to the same high school. They're about the same age. They're involved in the same career, but one. Knows the Lord and one doesn't. What's the story behind that? The story behind it is the same story that's behind Ruth chapter 1. These two women. One has been chosen by God. One has been elected. Romans 9, 10, and 11 remind us of the fact that God's election is for his purposes. God has something in mind. God has a reason why Ruth is the one. And not Orpah. But yet it is of grace. So it's, it's not because he sees more potential in Ruth. And he sees no potential in Orpah. Because grace is defined as that which is undeserved. That which is unearned. That which is unmerited. It's interesting sometimes when you you talk to folks, as I alluded to just a couple of minutes ago, that, that folks want to hear, I want to hear about grace, I don't want to hear about election. Well, how do you define grace? God unmerited favors someone. Well, if God favors someone, that means God is not favoring somebody else. What is he choosing? He is electing to show grace to someone. That's why those two words go together. The problem is when we separate them, when we in the Reformed community press election to the absence of grace, we distort that which God is doing. But those in the Armenian camp and outside of that Reformed community, when they press grace to the denial of election, They distort that which grace is. They're not really dealing with grace then. If grace is something I choose, then it's not grace. Grace is something that is given, undeserved. Why? Because God has chosen to do so. You know, I I was thinking as... The story continues if there was a day, someday in Ruth's life, where she reflected upon Orpah and thought, there but for the grace of God go I. Because there is no difference between us. There but for the grace of God. There but for God's election. But you see, this story is bigger than just grace and election. That which God has placed before us is a lesson of faith. We'll talk more about that tonight, but but it's the lesson of faith, the gift of God. To what? To turn from sin and to turn from Christ. Ruth didn't stand in a single spot. She turned from Moab and turned to the Lord. That's what faith is. Turning from sin, turning to Christ. But the story is bigger than that because it's a lesson for us all, is it not? On hope. We meet this woman, Naomi. Just call me bitter. My life's a mess. Wherever I turn, I've got problems. illness, sickness, death. I'm alone, I'm destitute. I've got this Moabite daughter-in-law following me along. Don't even call me Naomi anymore. Just call me Mara. Just call me the woman of bitterness. Oh, how closed are her eyes. Because everywhere we read in this chapter there is hope. There is hope. Oh it's small at times. But you know by the time we get to the end of this chapter this thing is growing. This hope is swelling. By the time we get to the end of the book we're like flabbergasted over that which God has done. And the hope She's bouncing a little grandchild on her knee. Understanding that child is as much hers as it is Ruth's. But understanding ultimately that this child is God's gift. My friends, never shut your eyes so closed to that which is going on in life when it seems all is despair, when it seems all is hopeless, when it seems all is pointless, when it says, what's the use? Never close your eyes so tight that you fail to see the barley harvest of life. That you fail to see Bethlehem. That you fail to see your kinsman redeemer. That you fail to see Christ. Because that's where this goes, right? Ruth chapter 4 gives birth to a child. Obed. And we have Jesse. And then we have David. David. And then we have Matthew chapter 1. It says the account of the birth of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Never turn, close your eyes so tightly you don't see Bethlehem in the distance. That you don't see the reapers of the barley harvest all around you. And that you don't see Christ. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you. We had a long list of prayer requests today. A lot of them were, were tough, they're hard, they're difficult. Difficult circumstances that people are facing. And these are only the ones that were spoken, not the ones, Father, yet unspoken. There would be a lot of reasons, Lord, for us to look around and say, just call me Mara. But that's if we got our eyes shut. Lord... You have called us out of the darkness of that blindness. That we might see. That we might see Christ. We might see the barley harvest. That we might see Bethlehem. That we might, Father, know hope. And hope, as your word reminds us, does not... Disappoint us in his name. God's people say, amen.